I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, but uh, we went over 60 minutes with this guest and I think you will find it interesting. I, I definitely think you'll find it newsworthy. Burke Magnus is the president of content at ESPN. That means he has one of the most important jobs in the sports media writ large. He has oversight of ESPN's live events, studio shows, news gathering, original content, ESPN films, the talent office, as well as audio, digital, and social media um thousands of employees um are under burke's aegis obviously jimmy pataro uh the chairman of espn as well um he was a guest on this podcast in february of 2022 and we did a long form then and uh this is another one of those hit on pretty much every topic i think you would want to hear on from uh, what espn is interested when it comes to upcoming media rights to how Burke saw the uh, the disbandment of the Pac-12 and ESPN's uh, um, sort of long-term interest in college football and the college football playoffs. We got into uh, ESPN's ultimate uh, um, direct-to-consumer um, run that there, you know, is, is a matter of uh, when and not if, basically, your ability to purchase ESPN directly. I'm talking about everything direct uh, to consumer um of course the cable will still exist even with that product we got into why the decision to have jeff van gundy depart got into espn's um deal with pen entertainment uh and gambling and um and also pat mcafee the reasons behind uh why they wanted to acquire all of mcafee's business and whether mcafee can still have people who uh compete against the ESPN's newsbreakers. So a ton of stuff with Burke Magnus. I think you I think you're gonna enjoy it. Burke Magnus coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, listen, as I said at the top, um this is a really good guest for me. I certainly respect his time and in my world is one of the most important figures that I deal with. Burke Magnus is the president of content at ESPN which means he has one of the most important jobs in the sports media writ large. He has oversight of ESPN's live events, their studio shows, news gathering, original content, ESPN films, the talent office, as well as their audio, digital, and social media departments. So again, everything pretty much falls at the moment under Burke Magnus when it comes to content. He was a guest on this podcast in February of 2022. And while I have known him professionally for many years, I don't take his time for granted. Uh, Burke Magnus, welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast. Hey, Richard. How are you? Good to, good to be here. Thank you. Um, listen, we've all witnessed one of the most transformational stretches in sports media, um, including at ESPN. Uh, I, I, it's been... It's been a long time since I've seen this much news coming out of your place, let alone sort of the larger sports media industry. So there's a lot to um, there's a lot to get to. Uh, selfishly, I'm going to try to make some news for myself on the first couple questions, Burke. So we'll see uh, we'll see where that takes us. So here we go. Um, how aggressive will ESPN be if the women's basketball tournament goes up for bid? Oh, I think we'll be very aggressive. Um, you know, uh, you know better than most, if not all, um, how much pride we've taken in, you know, that sport uh, and that really that tournament for many years. Um, you know, I watched with, well, first of all, you were, you were, and I say this, uh, I say this with all due respect, you know, your agitation on the issue of why not uh, ABC uh, actually, you know, uh, you know, uh, caused us in many ways to, to give it serious consideration. And when we did last year, you know, the confluence of, you know, a dream matchup and some transcendent players and a game that's in great shape really paid off to the tune of 10, you know, 9.9, .9, I call it 10 
million viewers, which is a number that you just you don't see uh, in our business very often in any sport. So, um, you know, at the same time, I, I, I did start referring to it as a 25 year overnight success. Um, you know, just just to indicate to people how long we've been at it, you know, in terms of uh, women's basketball and the women's tournament, um, you know, it's with great pride that we that we, we call it our tournament. Right. Um, we don't have the men's tournament. We haven't had it in in any way, shape or form for many years. Uh, but we take this one seriously. We love it. We're, we're thrilled that it's succeeding. We know it will be competitive, but we hope very much to, to keep it. Yeah, the. Though that number was extraordinary, and you know, and again, um, I, I appreciate your words. You know, finally, it's taking me whatever twenty years. I finally had an impact. I'm, I'm just pat myself on the back. <laughs> um, but no but it, it's a uh, it's a remarkable tournament, and I'm glad to see that um, that you guys will continue to have interest because if you're going to be fair about it, uh, ESPN has been a major major factor in the growth of women's college basketball, unquestionably so. How aggressive will ESPN be regarding renewing the NBA rights? Uh, the NBA rights, I mean, we've been uh, real clear on this, um, and I think every, the industry knows where we stand. We have an unbelievable relationship with the NBA. Uh, uh, Bob, Jimmy, myself, you know, all the way on down through the company, we have a ton of avid NBA fans. It's been – it's a great game. It's ascendant on a global level. Um, it's run by extremely smart people who are – savvy about where we are at this point in time in the media landscape. Um, and it's, you know, it's got an audience that it's highly desirable in a world where live sports and the power of live sports is kind of undeniable. And so long story short, we love it. We, 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 we want very much to keep it. Um, I'm sure there's, you know, as always with a, an incumbent property, I'm sure there's, uh, things, little things, pieces of it, aspects of it that could be changed or altered uh, throughout uh, the process. But, you know, we hope to come out of it with, you know, a package that looks pretty similar to what we have now. Um, And we hope that it, you know, that's a relationship that goes on for many, many years. How would you characterize the importance of the NBA finals? Meaning, is that a must-have when it comes to renewal versus a can-have? Must-have. Okay. Must have. Uh, we can continue on a, two more of these, and then we'll sort of move to something else. How committed would you say ESPN is to bidding on the World Cup rights, men and women, if those rights come up for renewal post-Fox? I'm sure given the global significance of that property that will um, take a run on it. Let me caveat everything in the last couple of questions by saying that's no longer my job uh, here, as you know. Uh, uh, we have a really talented uh, team in programming uh, led by Rosalind Durant, who, who, who now does rights acquisitions. Uh, but, um, but I, you know, on the, as it pertains to the world cup, um, you know, that's something that whenever it becomes, you know, uh, available for, you know, for conversation uh, or acquisition, I think we'd be doing a disservice to the company if we didn't, uh, take a look at it. a serious look at it. Um, but it's also very hard to unseat an incumbent for something, uh, like that, where, especially if they, if they desire to stay in. So, um, I'm a fan, you know, I, when we had it, I mean, Brazil, South Africa, like these were, these were incredibly important moments in the history of, of ESPN and ABC. And, and, uh, I'd love to get it back, but, uh, I'd love to have it back whether for the men's, the women's or both, um, you know, but, uh, but I don't know that I can be any more, you know, aggressive uh, than that uh, because it's not something that we currently have. Yeah, I will say, and again, I've written this many times. I'll, I'll say it for uh, the purposes of you being here, Burke, in my opinion, having covered ESPN for a long time, the single best remote event production that you've ever had is the south is your world cup coverage of south africa that to me remains the blueprint of what a major sports network or i should say how a major sports network should cover a global event um you were rightfully praised from that and um and and i think espn was a great steward of the world cup just on a personal note so that would be interesting if it um if it comes back to you yeah 
I appreciate that. And, and, you know, we felt the same way when we had it, you know, how much John Skipper loved soccer and loved the world cup in particular. And, and, you know, we, we did do it. Uh, I thought a, re- a really good job to this day, by the way, I remain a fan of the Uruguay national team because of South Africa, because we did a little thing with employees where every employee was assigned randomly a team. Uh, and if your team won, you would get uh, some sort of prize. I think it was like a jersey or something like that. And uh, um, uh, and Uruguay was the team that I was uh, assigned randomly. And they made a magical run to the semis that year, if you recall. And so, uh, so I'm still a fan. Uh, not where I'm. Well, light blue is their color, so I, you know, maybe just a coincidence. <laughs> but yeah, depending on what country you're in, you have to be careful of uh, waving the Luis Suarez banner. Some countries would be like you're, you'd be beloved. True. Other countries, not necessarily. So yeah, much. Suarez. Yeah, Diego Forlone was another one. Who was <laughs> you a great oh, yeah, player on that team. yeah, yeah, that was an amazing yeah. team. Uh, last one of these on rights, understanding again that like you know you're no longer yeah. charged with programming, but you know. You, you, you're sort of at the, the where you are in the pyramid. Um, how aggressive will ESPN be regarding the college, uh, the upcoming rights for the college football playoff package? Yeah, I think this is another one that we really, really love being a part of and, and intend to pursue aggressively. Um, you know, college football is, is something that's uh, foundational to what we do here, not just from a live event perspective, but just coverage in general, college game day, et cetera. We love the playoff. We think that, uh, uh, or we believe, we'll see how it plays out. But we believe that uh, that uh, the CFP and the and the commissioners, etc., uh, did a a really thoughtful job on the expansion plan. And so, um, you know, which we think will put that sport even, you know, uh, in, in an even stronger position in the future, uh, you know, than it is now uh, with a bracketed playoff. Um, um, so yeah, we're re- we we love it. We, you know, we'd love to to keep it, uh, and I think you know we're gonna behave accordingly. One just one follow up on that, and then, and then I want to ask you about some college football stuff. Is it realistic yeah. as, as we head forward in 2023, 2024 for one company to own all of the college football playoffs, or is the more realistic possibility that that would be divvied up between two companies, three companies, et cetera? I think it's certainly possible. It could be one. Um, you know, it's only going from seven games to 11 games, right. In total. So that's not that big to begin with. Um, if it were to be shared, I personally, I feel like it, it couldn't, or maybe rather shouldn't be shared beyond two. Right. Cause again, it's, I don't know how you divvy up, you know, 11 games between more than two entities, um, and get everybody equally invested in it, right? Because then there has to be sort of A, B package, you know, kind of qu- from a quality perspective, I don't know that that there's enough to go around. And remember, unlike NFL packages or, or, or the like, you know, th- this property is not tethered to anything in the regular season. They're literally just 11 games. So I think to drive, you know, maximum uh, value, um, the more, I think the more you divide it up, the, the more that, potentially depresses uh, uh, price and value. Uh, so, But it certainly could be too. All right. I want to ask you some questions about college football, uh, understanding that um, yeah, there may be some proprietary things you just you don't want to go that deep in. Like, i just be honest with the audience here. Like, I expect Burke yeah. maybe to go uh, so far when it comes to some of these questions. Regarding the, um, the, the Pac-12 um, sort of dissolution and prior negotiations, and I know you have seen this. It's been reported that ESPN offered the Pac-12 $30 million uh, a year ago. Pac-12 came back with a much higher counter offer, and ESPN decided not to go with that higher number. Is is that reporting accurate? Uh, directionally, yeah, that, that's, that's fair to say. Um, you know, I think it was more like um, – I think the order was reversed, right? I think our final offer, which was rejected, was uh, you know was was ne- was never really um, countered back, um, and you know we sort of went we went in a, in another direction uh, as as has been documented. But it, regardless, yeah, we 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 uh, we thought we made a, a fair, uh, disciplined, and um, you know sort of marketplace informed 
offer and we just we we couldn't get there um uh with them at that at that time from your vantage point burke why did the conference ultimately fall apart i don't i mean it's hard for hard for me to say but i i you know i think you know i think um you know i've always been sort of i've always scratched my head over the usc and ucla moves to the big 10 um you know at its core college is is um uh various regional conf- confederations if you will of of like-minded school with s- schools with some geography underpinning it and and you know there's these there's this regional appeal to college sports which has blossomed into national interest but yet at its core the brands are are uh, and the schools and and by association the conferences are are regional in 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 nature and i think that's what in large part drives you know the interest and um and you know it was the first move in in uh in college sports you know despite all the realignment that that has happened over the last you know two decades it's it was the first one that really felt like it was um un unattached to a geographical rationalization if that if if you, if you know what i'm saying like it it just felt like it was uh it, it was uh odd in that regard and and you know given the profile of those two schools and the importance of the, uh of those two schools to uh the Pac-12 i i feel like that had a a a big impact on ultimately what you know what transpired how does someone in your position um yeah, you know, a very, very, very high-ranking executive at one of the, if not the most important sports company in the United States, react when you read that Fox and ESPN are to blame for um, for all of realignment and and these some of these rivalries um, blowing up. It, it's tough. I mean, you know, we fought the perception that you know that that you know we we were somehow behind the scenes on a lot of this stuff, which we knew to be untrue, but it was, you know, kind of a pointless battle to try and push back, uh, or protest too much, uh, in that regard. Um, you know, I think it's the, uh, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of, um, natural tension that exists between a commercial enterprise and, you know, at its essence, an academic enterprise. Um, so when, when, you know, market forces, um, you know, uh, act, uh, it, it, as it pertains to college sports. Um, I think people are often left searching for, well, there must be a reason, um, you know, that this happened, uh, when in fact, uh, you know, and again, I can't speak for Fox, but I, I, I suspect their circumstances similar. Um, when in fact, w- w- what we are always asked to do is not to design, but rather to, to react to to uh, changes that are made, that I think the people that run college sports um, at the institutions and at the conferences are smart enough to understand, you know, if then scenarios related to membership, uh, and so they make decisions for a host of reasons, and then they come to the market to 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 try and realize value, and it and it's always been in that order. It's never been uh you know in the reverse that that uh you know but but i but again i think that's it's it's a more convenient um theory i think than than what is it is is actually the case one of um one of my college football colleagues uh what i mentioned earlier today that i was speaking to you uh i just might as well say it i don't know like Stuart mendel um i told him that i was going to talk to you obviously somebody's covered college football a long time and uh, he wanted me to ask you this, uh, and I thought it was a, an interesting question. From from your vantage point, um, how much do some of these schools from the, the Pac-12, some of these historic Pac-12 schools that are now going to the Big Ten, which you don't own the rights to, hurt ESPN? If that's the right way to phrase it, hurt ESPN. That's a great question. I mean, listen, you, you have to be somewhat dispassionate in the in the rights business because things come and go. Um, and you know, like my son went to USC. I'm a I'm a big USC football fan. 
having gone to a small school, you know, they sort of are my team um, in, in big time uh, power five college football. And I would love, you know, we, we, we'd love for, for those schools. And by the way, the, you know, the traditional big 10 schools uh, to have a presence on ESPN and ABC. So, you know, that was a hard decision, emotionally, very, very difficult. Um, You know, if you had told me 10 years ago, we'd be out of the big 10, I, I would have said, no, there's no possible way that's going to happen. But, um, but unfortunately for us, it was an easy business decision. Um, uh, So, you know, I, I don't know that it, 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 it hurts us, um, you know, uh, per se. uh, But um, we've always sort of uh, uh, positioned ourselves as having a national footprint in, in college football. And I think that's going to be a hole in our portfolio. Like, but we made a really calculated decision to go all in with the SEC that I believe is the best college football conference by far. And in a, in a, in a world at a time where premium rights have escalated to the point where you can't possibly own everything, we're all in with the SEC uh, from a, in a regular season perspective. And we feel really really good about that. Um, by the way, just to maybe answer a, a question that some people might have in, in a world where we we're not a big 10 rights holder, you know, this will not affect college game days decisions in any way. We're going to continue to, to operate that show, you know, the way we ha- always have in the past, it's going to go to the biggest game. Oftentimes that's a debatable notion on a week to week basis, but nonetheless, like we're not, there's no edict that, you know, college game day will not be at big 10 or, 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 you know, they always have to be, I mean, our, our track record here is unassailable. So like we've done plenty of CBS and Fox games and NBC games over the years. So that, that won't change. Yeah, no, I, I think it, I mean, if you're going to be fair and a good faith broker at this point, like that shouldn't even be a debate anymore. Like the, the college game day has gone repeatedly to games yeah. where your competitors are the, um, broadcaster of that game, um, yeah, and uh, you know, I, there's no you really can't compare it to anybody else because there's really no other college game day. But you, I feel like at this point, you guys have proven that like it doesn't have to be an ESPN game for for that yeah. sh- for that show to travel. Yeah, and by the way, in my prior role as the programmer, as the business guy, you know, I, it used to be to my great chagrin, oftentimes, right? right? <laughs> right. Like where. You know, I would have wanted to make a different decision in my current role. Like, uh, you know, and again, I have a full appreciation. College Game Day has the brand and the affinity and the fan base that it does because of that, not because we didn't do that. You know, um, yeah. And so by the way, big it, big noon kickoff should 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 approach it the same way. If I was uh, in charge of that show, because I think, again, just my opinion, and I imagine you probably agree with me, it gives you credibility with college football fans when you're top people yeah. are at the top game of the day yeah i that, totally agree don't tell fox i won't yeah the, the, they'll, <laughs> they'll be listening but i won't tell them directly all right one last thing you know there's a lot of people lord knows like uh you know college realignment is like the mother of all page views you know for places like mine um where people like are kicking around the idea of okay will this does this end with uh, just a power four does this end with somehow that there's uh you know, like a Premier League structure where there's, you know, 25 super teams in the Premier League. And then there's like a second tier of uh, like the championship level. Um, you're not, I realize you don't have a crystal ball, Burke, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you where you think this may be going, at least in the medium term. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, that, that's not a never thing for sure. But, um, you know, history has 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 been that there's a flurry of activity, big seismic things happen are admittedly, this is feels bigger than anything in the past, but nonetheless, I think these things happen. It settles. There's a period sometimes relatively long period of calm and stability and then whatever next happens. So I don't know. It, it, it feels to me like, like um, despite the, you know, the, the demise or the, or the situation um, related to the PAC 12, um, you know, it, it, it feels to me like it's going to be, yeah, four conferences for a, for an extended period of time that, you know, and, um, and again, I, 
I think that's good, right? I, I you know, I would, I would argue that you know, again, despite what has happened, college sports continues to be um, an e- enterprise that is fueled locally and regionally as much as it is nationally, and it, and I, and I think it should continue to lean into that as as a key attribute. Yeah. I want to ask you a couple of just uh, final some sort of business side questions before I eventually get to talent. Um, and this, there'll definitely be a couple that um, I think you can weigh in on. And if there's a couple of these questions where you sort of would see to uh, Jimmy Pitaro, Bob Iger, I, again, I understand. Um, we, I have asked you this question before uh, because I think it's interesting and you've always given me interesting questions, uh, interesting answers, I should say. Um, what properties or slash sports do you think – uh, as we look in the three to five year window, really have some growth potential. I remember I used to ask you this question and it would be many times like soft, softball or lacrosse or uh, women's college volleyball. A lot of those sports, by the way, have you know since like shot to the moon. So you can still name yeah. those if you wish, but is there anything that you sort of have your eye on where like maybe you know three or four years from now, people will be surprised at like some viewership number or something like, wow. I didn't see that coming, but maybe I should have. I'm going to focus heavily on on women's college sports again, which is, again, despite the, you know, the unbelievable year that women's basketball had, and I think they're in for another one. Um, you know, the depth, uh, the competitiveness. Uh, when you think about, you know, the UConn getting healthy, what LSU did. You know, South Carolina going nowhere. Um, you know, like it's going to be a really interesting women's college basketball. Caitlin Clark back, you know, at Iowa. So it, it's going to be really, really, I think it's going to be another leap forward for women's basketball deeper into the regular season, which matters. Um, but I think like uh, softball and volleyball in particular have just started to scratch the surface. And they're going to realize maybe not next year, maybe this is three, five years from now. But I, and by the way, let me add gymnastics to that too. You know, like one of the great head scratchers always for me was how some of the key sports in the Olympics every four years were like the primetime staples, right? Swimming and diving and gymnastics uh, in particular, um, you know, got virtually no attention, you know, in between Olympics. Um, uh, I think college gymnastics is really primed to, you know, to, to have a huge growth spurt. Um, but I, but I think there's just a, I think there's just a lot of growth in these, you know, in college sports, non-football and basketball, um, led by women's basketball, volleyball, gymnastics, um, softball. Um, and then, you know, for a little further out lacrosse, great men's and women's sport. Um, but yeah, I, I'd lean in that direction. Um, I think women's golf, you know, I think the LPGA could be a sleeping giant. Um, you know, um, again, golf is golf is a sport that is in an odd way, kind of custom made for today's media environment, which is to say, um, there's tons of content, you know, hours upon hours every, every day. Um, where fans tend to have favorite players because it's an individual sport. So even if your player is not on the top of the leaderboard, if you know that you can stream any portion of a golf tournament at any point over the four days and watch your player um, either live or on demand, I think it's it's a it's a it's again weirdly like a perfect sport for the digital environment. Uh, and 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 obviously, met, you know the PGA tour and the majors uh pull big audiences on on uh, on linear so uh, i like the future that golf has in this country both men's and women's okay i want to ca- ask you a couple quick broad questions about espn um you're you're well aware of sort of the business realities once upon a time espn was in 100 million homes if i have my um data uh, up to date it's now um it's now in a shade over 70 million so that's you know it's a lot of erosion there um, where does the ESPN management um, think the floor is when it comes to pay television households? I don't know that anybody knows or even 
thinks where the floor is. I think what, what we're trying to do is be prepared for um, both eventualities. You know, um, it, Jimmy calls it parallel paths, but I think it's just a great way to uh, to to think of it. You know, w- we are very committed, and it is a very uh, despite the despite cord cutting, it's it's uh, still a very uh, 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 profitable uh, ecosystem in the linear sense. Um, but we, and as have others are, are actively working to be prepared for a world where it's, you know, a streaming environment, whether, and that, and that's, you know, as I've said, I, maybe you and I've had this conversation, I say it all the time, but you know, you often read these articles where, where if you read them literally, you would think, okay, we're just going to wake up one day and it's going to be gone. Right. And I don't know that it'll ever be gone. Right. But you're going to have to optimize the, you know, the multi-channel pay TV cable, you know, business model for as long as possible while, while also simultaneously uh, building products and, 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 and experiences in the streaming or direct to consumer environment uh, with e- with equal degrees of, of success and, and relevance. And that's the way we look at it. Um, the advantage that we, that we think that we believe that we have is, is right now we're everywhere a sport and we intend to always be everywhere where a sports fan can possibly be. Right. And that goes from start at the top with, you know, from a reach perspective with ABC, multiple ESPN branded networks, you know, our branded social and digital, which is our secret sauce and sort of absolutely indispensable at this point in time. And then a streaming direct to consumer product in ESPN plus. And, you know, those things will kind of be intertwined and will, will, um, will be uh, offered in, in various forms o- over the years. But we, we think we have it all in that regard. And that's what actually makes this time, you know, uh, ch- challenging, no doubt, but also invigorating because we think, you know, we have the best hand out there uh, with our rights portfolio and our capabilities to reach sports fans. I don't know if you want to put a number on this. The likelihood is you won't. But how yeah. large do you think the market for ESPN is outside of the bundle? You mean in a streamed environment? Yeah. Like in terms of like the number of potential either people or households that would be interested in ESPN direct to consumer. If, if, well, if and when they can get it. Yeah. I don't, again, I, I, I'd be guessing and it'd probably be reckless of me to try and put a number on it. So I won't, but, but I think, you know, the interesting dynamic to underscore or to try and inform that question is, you know, we have this odd circumstance right now that I don't think anybody projected, which is, you know, for the last couple of years, our rating in a declining uh, subscriber environment, our ratings have been up, meaning, you know, the total viewers we're drawing for many, many programs and many, many live events is actually higher today than it was a couple of years ago, even though we have less subscribers. And what that tells me is that for the most part, generalizing here, but for the most part, the people that are leaving you know, the cable TV ecosystem are not sports fans, right? And so, you know, I, I think, so that to me says that's a that's still a very healthy environment for us. Um, and as is streaming, I mean, I, you know, we're, we're really excited that, that, that ESPN Plus has gotten to 25 million subscribers in five years. Um, and when those two things come together, at some point in the future, Bob and Jimmy have both said they feel it's inevitable. I, I would agree. Uh, but when those things come together, I think, you know, we're going to learn a lot really quickly about, um, you know, what the market or the appetite is outside of, you know, the pay TV universe for ESPN. And, but again, parallel pass, we want to be in both places. We want to succeed in both places. We want to succeed in any environment. And that's, that's, that's sort of the mindset we have. All right. I, there is no way you're going to answer this question. So I'm going to ask a roundabout way. Like I, I, you know, okay. let's just, let's just be deal. Let's deal. <laughs> let's deal straight. I think a lot of people like myself, obviously would love to know, like, what is the expected price point or what could be the expected price point for a direct to consumer ESPN plus, whether you know it or not, you're not going to tell me. So let me ask it this way. 
Are there people actively working on that right now in terms of like studying the market, looking at the data of of I don't even know if there's another competitor, but you know what I'm saying? Like like like-minded kind of services to try to figure out what that price point would be. Because I think you would even concede that's going to be a really important decision for ESPN to try to get right so that you can uh, attract enough consumers to do this. Yes, you're right. And yes, there are people actively working on that. I mean, again, this is not a finger in the wind type decision. This is going to be informed by, you know, by the best um, minds and the best research and the best data that we have. Um, You know, I think, you know, you've been in this business long enough where you can probably figure out there's a range just by your feel like there's a range that's probably too low and there's a range that's definitely too high and it's somewhere in there i'm sure but it hasn't been determined um but there's plenty of people working on it because again we feel like this is uh this is going to be a reality uh at some point uh in the not too distant future and so we want to make sure that um and it's a huge decision so um we want to make sure that it's as informed as possible Okay. I was going to do the old blink twice if the first number is three, but I'm not going to put you through that. Or something like that. <laughs> All right. A couple more here. Um, and then on a serious topic here, this has been a very, very tough year when it comes to media layoffs. Um, your place is not immune, obviously. Yep. Uh, and by the way, candidly, obviously, my place as well. The Athletic uh, suffered them yep. as well. Um, do you anticipate any more layoffs uh, for the rest of 2023? No, we don't. We don't. Um, We've told, and we've told, you know, we've told people that Um, I, you know, I I had a town hall uh, with the content team, which is, you know, 4,000 or so people. And, uh, and Jimmy had a, uh, a couple of weeks ago, had a company wide town hall for everyone. Um, And, you know, you know, we, we, we were clear about two things. One is that we can't say that it'll never, that it's, it'll never happen again. And, but we can say that it's over and uh, for now. And, and uh, I'd certainly that carries through the balance of this year. Burke, you know, one of the big by, sort of, oh, go ahead, please. I didn't mean no, to I was going to say, and by the way, like, you, you know, and you, uh, since you said you've been through it, you know, um, it, it's excruciating. And, and, you know, uh, I happen to work for two of the best leaders who are incredibly empathetic um, and do not, and have never taken these kinds of circumstances lightly. Um, you know, we, we at ESPN tried to do the best job we could to, I mean, we, we, we talked to people on an individual basis, right? I mean, this was not, you know, this was not a, you know, a, a thousand people received an email and said, turn in your ID. Like, you know, th- this is a place and a culture, in my opinion, where um, people really, really matter. And, you know, it was, it was very, very difficult. Um, we, you know, it's part, it's part of the job. It's what you sign up for as a leader, but I'm, I'm telling you, it, it was, it was, you know, it was done with the highest degree of care and respect for, for, for our people, despite how difficult those conversations are. One of the, um, one of the moves that happened when it comes to talent that obviously, and you knew it would created a lot of attention was Jeff Van Gundy. Um, yeah, being removed from uh, the NBA Finals booth. Obviously, since then, Mark Jackson has also left the company. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there um, who would want to hear uh, from someone like you. Why did the decision to have Jeff Van Gundy depart? It wasn't well. It certainly wasn't one thing. Um, you know, you know. First, let me say that you know the for I think it was 17 or 18 years um, we had what was in my opinion one of the best booths in all of sports in any sport um and you know uh we just felt like um for a combination of things for a combination of reasons um some of which is related to just planning you know for the future um you know uh, but certainly some of it was also to try and you know realize some you know, some savings in, in our, you know, talent related, uh, uh, exercise, we felt like we could assemble not just on the a game, 
but you know we put out our uh, release uh yesterday i believe or, correct or, yeah. yeah for your for the second for the second the, the second team now with uh uh, Richard Jefferson, JJ uh, Reddick, yeah, JJ Reddick, right. yeah, and Ryan Ruka, and Ryan Ruka. Um, but we, but we thought we could assemble, and we believe we have assembled from from now top to bottom, you know, uh, a, a a different NBA team that clarifies a bunch of things that adds uh, great talent in Bob Myers, who I think is going to be remarkable uh, on on television and uh, and a very unique perspective. Uh, having built a dynasty, you know, in Golden State, um, but also like hand the reins to to people we really believe in, both on the A team and now, you know, the B team, uh, both for now and and for the future. So these things are never easy. It, it it just you know it it felt like we could accomplish, you know, both of the two goals I referenced with by making these changes. Mike Breen is the is the is the constant. Uh, there on the A team, the hands down, in my opinion, the best play-by-play guy in in any sport, um, and so you know he 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 will continue, and and uh, so we feel good about it. But it was really not focused just on those two guys. It was trying to reinvent, you know, the you know in many ways the totality of our NBA coverage plan. Malika Andrews also obviously taking uh, talk about somebody who's earned it. You know, taking full fully the reins of of our NBA studio. One thing, one last thing on this, the, the, those of us who have written about this and certainly people who work in, um, these individual sports know that, um, the, the league wants to be comfortable with the broadcaster, um, who is on their rights holder partners airwaves where it gets always a little bit gray is where the sort of, the final decision comes from the broadcast outlet that puts someone on, but you're not going to put someone on that your partner isn't comfortable with. So just to sort of for the record to be clear, did the NBA push you guys at all in terms of any direction to make a change in either the main booth or the second booth? No, not none whatsoever. None whatsoever. I mean, we had, Jeff and, and Mark on for, like I said, 17 or 18 years, you know, we had plenty of opportunities to make that change. If we were so inclined to acquiesce, you know, to a complaint that really never came. And so this, this time was no different. Um, you know, like yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. It's, it's a, it, there's a nuance there. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's it, talent is such a subjective topic forget about leagues and broadcast partners, just human beings like, you know, Joe and Jeff, you know, or John and Mark or, or Sally and Mary, like people just have different opinions of what they like. And, and, um, and, and so, no, there was no, there was no pressure to do that. There was no request that came. It was a decision that made sense for our business and, you know, and, and the NBA, you know, um, I think is, is, you know, happy with what where we ended up, but it had nothing to do with it otherwise. Okay, I have uh, two questions on um, your recent um, uh, partnership with Penn Entertainment, uh, and then a, just a couple more after that. And I'll let you go. Um, e- ESPN entered, uh, uh, as I think most people who are listening to this, a ten-year, two billion-dollar deal with Penn Entertainment to license ESPN for use in. Um, Penn's sports betting app. There'll be an upcoming ESPN bet app, which will be promoted on ESPN platforms and will have access to ESPN programming and talent. At this point, is there a timeline yet for when the the rebranding will take place? Other than what you said in your release, which I think was the fall. The fall, yeah. We we haven't zeroed in on a specific date, but obviously we're looking to capitalize on on some degree of football season. Um so, you know, I think it'll be as soon as we can. Um, but we also want to make sure we get it right. Uh, Penn uh, uh, gets it right as our partner. Um, you know, uh, the product and tech side of it uh, has to, we kind of have to nail that. So we'd much rather take a little bit more time to make sure that we get it right than, than um, and, you know, 
I know this from my, from my prior role, sometimes the deal timing just dictates what you can do and what you can't do. And, and, you know, this, this was, um, this was a process that, that carried on for some time. Uh, but we're thrilled with the outcome and, you know, we'll, we'll be patient now to, to, to roll it out and, and, and again, make sure we get it right. Broadly speaking, um, how would you determine success for this partnership? And if you want to put it in like the medium term as opposed to long term or short term? Well, the good news here, I think, is that we took um, we took time, you know, to find the right partner, and now we believe that we have. We talked to everybody in the space. Um, we had deals that were structured in a variety of different ways. We landed, you know, with you know, um, you know, this this type of arrangement. Although it's really more than just you know a, a licensing. Uh, Yes, it's a licensing is sort of at the essence of the transaction, but you know, from our perspective, the integration of of it into our content um, and how that manifests itself with relevant information for people who, you know, are interested in in sports betting as part of their fan experience um, is really what you know, you know, what we hope to get out of it. You know, in terms of an additive engagement aspect to it beyond just the financial transaction. Um, you know, the research that we've done to this point, um, you know, uh, indicated very strongly that fans, uh, don't, don't, uh, don't just see this as something, um, we should do. They, they feel like it's an absolute expectation of the, of theirs when they come to the ESPN platform. And, you know, uh, so we're going to have to deliver on that and, and that I know we will, but I, I think, I'm glad we took our time to find the right partner to do that in the right way. I know this is something that um, you have to navigate and maybe in many ways it'll be fluid as well. But where are you in terms of your thinking on one, um, how do you feel about employees sort of betting or using like ESPN bet? And then maybe the more important one is what are your broad thoughts on sort of the branding of insiders who in especially yours, who are obviously some of the most well-known people um, in the country, like reporting on something that, you know, in theory can, can change the lines on something. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a, that's a really active conversation. And I think we're trying to figure out right now, um, you know, and, and maybe take the employee population and divide it into certain, you know, characteristics based on your particular role as to how, you know, what might be permissible and what might not be permissible from a betting perspective. Um, but I think, you know, clearly there's a, there's a, you know, an editorial aspect to this that needs to be, you know, fully uh, fleshed out. Um, you know, there's the, you know, conversely, there's people who are going to be actively working on, you know, uh, on the product that, you know, will need to use it, frankly, to, you know, to make sure that the product and tech experience is as, you know, is as pristine as it can possibly be. And then there's a whole host of employees who, who work in jobs that are unrelated to, you know, to, you know, our editorial or insiders or information or news and, you know, news and information, you know, that, that, that I'll, I'll say probably, cause we haven't determined anything, but probably uh, are fine, you know, to, to, to do things. Uh, we don't have any policy on this currently. Um, uh, that changes obviously with a dir- direct, more direct relationship, but we're going to figure that out you know, uh, between now and launch. Does it last one on this? Does it, um, does it change the thinking or maybe expedite the thinking on having like a point spread now? Um, like a, like a graphic or a score bug full time on, uh, your screen when you're airing a college broadcast or a, uh, uh, I'll just make this up WNBA game. You know, it could be any sport obviously, but does, does this deal, mean that you guys take the next evolution by putting this stuff literally um, that we can see as viewers on the screen, not just studio, but during games? Well, get, you know, what you can and can't do in games, whether it's betting or otherwise, is, is often, you know, dictated uh, by the leagues. Sort of, yeah, dictated or, or legislated by the rights agreements. So I think that'll still be the case. Um, you know, uh, we've always tread lightly in college, I think, We'll continue to do that, although, you know, college game day, you know, and other studio um, franchises have have betting information. Um, I think it's more going to be more about, 
integrating ESPN bet, um, in a cross platform way, um, you know, in digital, in social, in other places, um, you know, um, you know, where we think that, uh, both the information and the branding can live, you know, uh, in harmony, I guess I'd, <laughs> I'd say. And then we'll also, we'll also continue to lean in, uh, on, a, on a studio from a studio perspective, you know, personally, um, you know, I tend to be more, um, traditional or maybe more conservative about clutter on the screen. Um, I think, I think there's places where it works and there's places where it shouldn't be. Um, and, you know, so we have to, you know, we, we're going to have to tease that out fully as well. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I think, you know, obviously what we're bringing to the table is our, you know, uh, is our audience and, and our ability to, to successfully integrate, um, uh, across content and across platform. And, and so we'll, we'll definitely do that. All right, I'm going to get you out of here in about nine minutes, if that's okay with you. All right. So a couple more here. Uh, Sage Steele, who worked at ESPN for 16 years, announced on Tuesday that she had left the network after settling a lawsuit. Um, did the settlement from the company include a financial payout to Sage? Um, I, I can't say on that one. Um, you know, we, we issued a statement earlier. It was a, it was a settlement uh, related to a legal action, as you, as you indicate. So, you know, uh, I'm only authorized to sort of point you back in the direction of the statement, unfortunately. Okay. And so then if I asked you, was the settlement satisfying to the company? Same answer, essentially. You're pointing back to the statement, which was put out? Yeah, it was. I mean, listen, we, we it was obviously a settlement, so we felt good about it. Uh, you know, um, it was mutually uh, agreed to by by the company and by Sage and and uh, you know she did she did great work here for a, for a long time and and you know I think it's best that we you know sort of go in our separate directions uh, and and uh, and you know uh, we definitely wish her the best. I appreciate you answering that. Um, I know the stock answer is that everyone is a competitor, and there's truth to that. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't sort of downgrade that answer. That said, how much do you worry about a company like Apple specifically, which has endless amounts of money if they really wanted to be a competitor in sports? I guess, you know, what I say there most frequently, Richard, is, um, you know, and again, I'm, I'm sort of I'm putting on my, my old hat here a little bit, but, you know, from a live rights perspective, you know, leagues and properties are interested typically in three things, right? Which is revenue, which they have, relevance, which I don't think they have, um, and uh, reach, you know, which which they both have and don't have. You know yeah. what I mean? From a perspective yes. of, it's it's only in really in one in one environment, streaming environment. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, worry is probably too strong of a word. Like like the, the the thing that that I believe that they they you know have they can do whatever they want financially, and and but from a fan perspective, are they going to be able to effectively reach, you know, uh, fans at scale? Um, and do fans think of them, uh, from a brand perspective as, as a place for sports. And that's something where we have, you know, uh, uh, both of those things, you know, uh, in large, large degrees. Um, and, uh, you, by the way, um, relevance built over and a brand built over, 40 years, 40 plus years. So, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not you know, like, you know, I, so, uh, and, and by the way, I think of our, I guess what you would probably call more conventional competitors or traditional competitors through a similar lens. And I think that each of them has, you know, has, you know, a, a, a weakness in one of those categories. Um, and so that's why we feel, you know, so optimistic about, about our future, Understanding that again, the, the the rules of engagement have changed, you know, because um, of technology and because of um, uh, you know distribution, because of a changing fan environment, uh, and because of the economics of you know of both rights and distribution revenue. So, um, but between the platforms and the portfolio, feel really good about our hand. Final couple here. It's always been interesting to me to watch um, 
the relationship between the WWE and ESPN, because there have been times, Burke, during your career where you guys really leaned into the WWE. Like, you know, you, you, I think if you might have one time had a vertical actually that was covering WWE, WWE on digital, um, Many times still, the WWE really wants to get their people on ESPN when breaking news or like announcing something big. I guarantee when WrestleMania season comes around, we're going to see a ton of those performers who are on your airwaves. So all that said, like, you know, the rights are coming up with them. Like, it's always kind of interesting to me, but I never really can figure out like where ESPN's interest or lack of interest lies when it would come to a more permanent relationship with WWE. And I wonder if you, you know, if you can go as far as you want to go on this in terms of how you feel or how the company feels. It, it wouldn't be a pod with you without a WWE question. So I do appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yeah. By the way, I'm overdue. I'm overdue to, to go to an event. I haven't, I haven't been in, a little while but yeah. my, my sense is nikon could probably provide you with some decent tickets yes like yes um, um that's it, you know i think it continues to be i mean the, i guess from a from a glass half full perspective i'd say that i believe our companies and this changed a couple of years ago so this is not a new this is not breaking news but i believe our our point of view towards the wwe from a as a potential uh distribution outlet for their events you know, I think we passed that a long time ago, and I think we're now in the bucket of, hey, if if their rights are available and there's a deal for us that, that works, and and a deal for them that works with us, like I think it's certainly a po- it's a possibility. Um, there's no, you know, there's no hesitation anymore from a brand perspective or from a, you know, a, you know, live event versus scripted perspective. Um, you know, f- th- their fans and our f- and our viewers, uh, there's tremendous overlap. So, you know, to me, it's just about, you know, the bi- the business of it. And is there something that works? Um, you know, I think we said that I, I may have said this to you last time we talked, but, you know, to their credit, like they run a 52 week a year business, right? Correct. There's, they, they provide a ton of inventory. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, well, let me start from the linear perspective. 52 weeks a year is, is impossible for us to do on any, like almost in any configuration based on the other rights that we have. Uh, so that actually cuts against us from a linear perspective. But on the digital side, if we were to be in business with them on a streaming or direct-to-consumer distribution or pay-per-view distribution or other such thing, I think you know that's more easily achievable. Um, and they have great a great product. Yeah, you talking to them, or can you not say? I, I, I well, I'm not. So, like, <laughs> let me just leave it at that. It's not my job. All right, <laughs> all right. Uh, final, final sort of uh, discussion point here is Pat McAfee. Um, yeah. yeah, you and Jimmy, I think, are two people at ESPN who have really been high on him for a while. Um, I think Jimmy came on this podcast and and. And talked about his relationship with Pat, you know, meeting Pat at the college football championship game. Um, but I haven't asked you this. So from your perspective, um, why did you want uh, sort of like the Mac? Why did you want McAfee's like entire brand under the ESPN brand? Well, a couple reasons. One, in and by the way, I was just out to see him last last week. I, I went out to to watch him do his his show um, uh, at his studio in Indianapolis. Um, first of all, I think he's supremely talented. I think he has, you know, tapped into the pulse of, uh, of, of, you know, younger fans. Yes. I don't even limit it at that, but like just the contemporary sports fan, he's, he, he sets, you know, uh, the conversation he, uh, you know, has built a show, you know, uh, from, a blank piece of paper on his own, you know, the great difference. And I, you know, by the way, I think he also took a lot of slings and arrows undeservedly, you know, uh, in a lot of articles, uh, where, you know, people tried to draw a direct correlation between our, our workforce reductions and, and the acquisition of his show, which is insane. Um, you know, so, you know, the, the big difference in, in, in that situation was that, he, we, we acquired a show, 
we didn't hire Pat McAfee as a talent and then build a show around him. He already built a show that is wildly successful in the YouTube environment. And we're bringing that show to ESPN. And, you know, that's a big difference that, and that was missed in a lot of the reporting on, on, on that particular deal. And that actually, the show is the reason we wanted Pat McAfee, which is to say, you know, we feel like he has tapped into something that will fit perfectly in our daytime, at, you know, lineup, you know, uh, and a flow from, get up with Mike Greenberg and first take with Stephen A. Smith. And now the Pat McAfee show that's six hours. That's absolutely powerhouse um, content Monday through Friday, every single day, every single week on, on ESPN one. And, you know, the various audiences that those, those three shows appeal to are both the same and very different. And, and so I, I, I couldn't be more excited uh, uh, about that. And, um, and it, it, it is actually a real priority of mine in this role to try and make our content offerings, broadly speaking, much more contemporary with current, you know, younger sports fans. My, I, my son's 24. My daughter's tw- about to be 22. You know, I'm constantly surrounded by them and their friends. They are enormous sports fans. Like, I just take in all this stuff by osmosis where I feel like, like we need to really focus on, you know, on this network appealing to them as much as, you know, and giving them what they want more than just, you know, continuing to run business as usual. And this is a major step in that direction. Yeah. Those are good focus groups, by the way, a 24 year old and a 22 year old for your job in particular. Yeah. That's real good. All right. Final yeah. two. They're both McAfee related. One, um, I think part of the reason the show has worked as well as it has is because it's in Indianapolis and not New York or LA or Bristol. Uh, is it your, um, uh, how do I ask it? Like, I, I, for them, I think they would want to stay in Indianapolis. Is that going to be okay for ESPN long-term that they don't come to Bristol or they don't go to New York or LA? Oh yeah, that's, it's fine. I mean, th- that's that's not going anywhere. They have quite a setup there. No, I've, I've not seen it personally, but obviously I've seen it on uh on YouTube and elsewhere. It's perfect because, you know, because the other thing is, is remember like the rules of engagement uh, from a content perspective were totally redefined during the pandemic. So they can bring anybody from the sports world into their, into their environment remotely. And it works. I mean, mo- a lot of times like some of their cast isn't even there, you know, AJ Hawk will be where, where he lives and, and, and other things. So like, no, it's, it's, that's exactly where it should be. Yeah, the one thing with COVID, ironically enough, is it sort of disproved the idea that somebody had to be in the studio to make good content. It's not the case at all. Um, last, lastly, uh, and this has come up, man, this has come up a million times. So I just, I want to get it from, a, as the cliche goes, the horse's mouth. There's a lot of sort of conjecture that at a certain point, ESPN is not going to allow Pat McAfee's show to have other uh, people coming on who are direct competitors of some of your biggest talent, like Adrian Wojnarowski or Adam Schefter. So this would be like Ian Rappaport at the NFL Network or Sham Charnay at uh, uh, at my place and elsewhere. How do you feel, Burke, about like the idea of McAfee continuing to use others um, as opposed to just ESPN talent only, or specifically like people who do compete against your people when it comes to news gathering? Yeah, no issue there at all. Like, I think Pat himself said it really well in, in an interview. I, I I can't place it right now when he got that question. But, you know, again, he built this show without us, right? Like, we didn't have anything to do with his success to this point. So he's got guys that are his guys. Um, they're going to continue to be on his show. I think he looks at it the opposite way, which is now, in addition to that, he can tap into our guys, there'll be, you know, there'll be peace in the Valley, right? I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll be the best of both worlds. It, it really will. Like, I'm, I, I don't mean to be, to sound overly naive here um, because I know that's a very, that the, the insider realm is a very competitive space in particular, but I think we can have both things simultaneously. And I know he's looking forward for well outside the insider realm. I know he's looking forward to really tapping into our experts and our people and our personalities 
um, as much as, you know, and integrating them into his show as much as the people that he's traditionally have, and he'll continue to have. So no issue there at all. We are at the 62nd uh, minute of this podcast. Is there anything that you would like to add that I have not asked you before we, uh, before we part? No, let's do it again sometime. I mean, like, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy uh, talking to you. You're, you, you, you know, you do a great job um, uh, across the board. By the way, I should commend you for, it wasn't lost on me when we made our NBA announcement yesterday that, you know, you've been on the Doris Burke uh, bandwagon longer than anybody. And, and so appreciate, you know, your, your support in that regard. She's fantastic. We feel great. Um, uh, about that, about that move. But, you know, again, you were, you were on that train a long time ago. So, uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy for her. I, I, I do like Jeff Van Gundy a lot, but I am absolutely happy for Doris. And I think, um, I, I, you know, I think she deserves promotion. I also love Hubie Brown, by the way. So I love seeing that re-sign Burke just on a selfish note. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, 90 years old. Can you imagine? Like, He's incredible. I need I need to hear I need to hear him say painted area a few more times before you know before he hangs it up. The guy, I think he coached Oscar Robertson and then coached against LeBron. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. there's no yeah. one like him. No one, and there will be no one like him after the fact. Burke Magnus is the president of content at ESPN. Um, he has oversight of ESPN's live event studio shows, new gathering, original content, ESPN Films, a talent office, as well as audio, digital, and social media. I have no doubt that if you listen to this podcast, you um, you got some just unbelievable insight into ESPN. Uh, there's there's few people who can provide it like he does. And again, he does not have to do uh, this podcast, but I really, really appreciate his time. Burke, uh, I do hope we can do it again. I always enjoy um, our talks and... Um, you know, you answer questions, and that's something I really, really respect. Uh, and so thank you very much for joining me today on the Sports uh, Media Podcast, and I'm, I'm sure our paths will cross again. Sounds good. I'll see you out there, Richard. Appreciate it. All right, back in the studio. Listen, my thanks to Burke Magnus. Um, one, he doesn't have to do this podcast. Two, he certainly doesn't have to go 60-plus minutes. But uh, but I appreciate it. I thought it was really, really interesting, and I hope, uh, I hope people listening got some uh, – got some insight from you know one of the most powerful people when it comes to sports media in the u.s uh if you like these podcasts uh, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note that's how the podcast continues uh the podcast before this one with burke had men in blazers uh founder roger bennett and uh, u.s national team midfielder sam lewis and the athletics rustin dodd so roger and sam talk about the uh, women's world cup rustin has a new book on kansas city out Stu Mandel on television, media rights, and college football on the end of the Pac-12. WWE star Becky Lynch was a guest on this podcast August 3rd. Andrea Carter was a guest in July. Michael Nathanson, the analyst. Um, check that one out if you're into some of the same things that Burke Magnus talked about. Um, had Neil Everett on not too long ago, the uh, longtime Sports Center anchor, talking about uh, leaving ESPN and what he wants to do next. Again, there should be uh, there should be some stuff that. Uh, I want to thank Patrick Antony for all his hard work and thank uh, everybody at Odyssey for their support. Most of all, thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media.